Welcome to another Know My Faith Monday podcast, and Matthew Johnson from Riverbend Bible Church is with us once again on your own this time, Matthew, not with Phil. Are you okay with that? You... I, I'm praying I survive. Good to see you, Rob. <laughs> you too. Um, one of the things that we like doing, obviously, is uh, delving deeper into books, and you've just spent three weeks preaching on a book that only has two chapters. That's very clever. <laughs> yeah, the book. <laughs> Well, yeah, the book of Haggai, I'm sure you could do many more sermons than just three, but yeah, uh, we, we looked at over three Sundays. Okay, so give us an overview of Haggai and then we'll dig deeper. Sure, Haggai, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a minor prophet, but there's nothing minor about the minor prophets, obviously. Um, Haggai, uh, overview, it contains four sermons, four messages uh, from God through the prophet preacher Haggai. And uh, we walk through all four of those, and each of them um, remind us uh, of key things uh, in our life, and, and also God, how God deals with his people, um, and how God always brings a message uh, through a messenger that he sends at an opportune time in his providence. Yeah, so Haggai's, uh, I always remember Haggai because it's the last four books of the Old Testament, you know, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So he's he's pretty pretty much up there at the end of uh, the Old Testament narrative. So I'm assuming he's prophesying and preaching to Judah, not to Israel. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He it's it's post-exilic. He's a post-exilic prophet. Um, the people obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar came to the southern kingdom, Judah, um, and then they were into exile uh, seventy years. Haggai picks up um, in the first message that God brings through Haggai, which is chapter one. Uh, they've been there for 16 years, back in the land, 16 years. And, you know, there's that uh, well-known accusation or indictment that God uh, brings through Haggai to the people um, in verse uh, two. Uh, the time has not yet come even for the house of the Lord or house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. And obviously, chapter one unfolds that they were comfortable to live in their panelled houses. Yeah. So there was mis there was misplaced spiritual priorities, and that's really the first message of chapter one that there was misplaced spiritual priorities. Always reminds me a little bit of Solomon because uh, the you know it goes into details about Solomon building the temple, and it says so Solomon was seven years building the temple, but he was fourteen years building his own place. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah certainly. Um, it begins with a with a quite a quite a strong accusation, um, but then you see through chapter one when there's the the appropriation of the of, of a taking heed of the message that was given. Yep. they begin to turn from their ways, but the journey continues on. Haggai was a great book to unfold. Yeah. So uh, Haggai's the, the the Jews went back to the land under Ezra. And this is yeah. this is sixteen years later. This is before Nehemiah or after Nehemiah? Uh, before, I believe. Okay. And, and it comes it comes sixteen years. Uh, they're in the land. They they rebuilt the altar. Ezra. They started. They started well, didn't they? Yeah they they rebuilt the altar. Um, they began to perform sacrifices. Um, but they got discouraged. Um, they they were greatly discouraged. You, you remember um, when they when they began to rebuild the temple. The Ezra chapter four, I believe, says that the sound of the moaning of the people who had witnessed the prior temple and the sounds of the joy of the people as they built this temple couldn't yep. be differentiated between each other. 
Yeah, yeah. Th- those that saw the temple and thought, oh, this is awesome, we've built a temple, and those that had seen the original temple and go, yeah, bro, this is you know, Meccano. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Haggai, in that opening chapter, Haggai does bring out the consequences of misplaced spiritual priorities. They're quite s- severe. Um, yeah. There was economic disaster, agricultural disaster, um, many, many things were, were going on. But you see in verse 8 of chapter 1, it really tells you, because we've got to remember that um, as part of the new covenant in this church age, for us we go to a building, but the church is the assembly of the people, not the building, but often we do meet in buildings. But for the for the Jew and under the old covenant, the temple was the place of worship. It was yes. the place where God's glory was made manifest. And verse 8 of chapter 1 says, consider your ways. Sorry, verse 7 says, consider your ways. Verse 8 says, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. And so it's all about God's glory yeah. uh, being on display. And so they, they, had, they had misplaced those spiritual priorities and the consequences of, uh, uh, were devastating. You know, they, they looked for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, Yahweh says, I blow it away. Um, yeah, I mean, verse verse six does that. It reminds me somewhat of of Nahum, where where God says, you know, I I bought pestilence on you and you still didn't return to me, and so I bought some enemies in and you didn't return, so I gave you a drought and you still. What do I have to do to get you to come back and return to me? And in this, it's like God is saying, do you not get it? Yeah, you, know, you 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 so much and you reap little because your priorities are wrong. You're priority prioritizing yourself not me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what's amazing is um, obviously Haggai is so connected to the book of Ezra, and Ezra chapter 1 tells us that uh, the preaching of um, uh, Jeremiah was fulfilled in Yahweh stirring the heart of King Cyrus. Yeah. And then we know what King Cyrus did. King Cyrus issues the decree that all of Israel can return to their land, and and this next part features quite heavily in the book of Haggai, uh, is that um, part of Cyrus's decree was that not only were the Jews to return to their land, but also wherever they were found, they were to be given gold and silver That's and right. cattle and goods. And um, so you see God's mighty providential hand on display. Interesting. I mean, we've got to bring it back to you know the old, how does this affect me? And I think in the modern church, if we're going number one, um, what is our priority? Is our priority on me or is it on God's glory? It, it, are our church services all about me or are they all about God's glory? I was preaching on the weekend um, from Isaiah and that, that great verse, you know, they shall rise up on wings like eagles and they shall run and not grow tired. And I'm going, that, that's used so often all about me. You know, if I'm a Christian and I'm trusting in God, da, da, and you go, no, the whole passage is about how wonderful God is compared to yes. these nonsense idols. God is this. God is this. In fact, those that worship God will rise up like eagles. It's all about God. It's not about me. And so what we've got here, I think, with the, the Israelites coming back into the land, it's, it's very much gone from this joyous, hey, God has done this to it's all about me. And that resonates for me with the modern churches. It's all about, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about me. <laughs> you, you really nail it there, Rob. Um, a me-centric worship as opposed to a God-centered worship. And, and that's really, chapter one really brings that home yeah. um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a big way. Uh, you know, the indictment of them 
um, saying not yet yeah. to God, but saying uh, yes to their panelled houses. And a panelled house was pretty flash, as we say in New Zealand, yep. pretty flash. Yep. And so, yeah, misplaced spiritual priorities. And that's the call is the repeated call in Chapter 1, consider your ways. Um, and, and that's a very powerful, powerful thing. So um, w- what's amazing, though, with Haggai is he gets, in his first sermon, he gets the dream response that every oh, yeah. pastor shepherd, because, um, you know, we learned that uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, um, who was no less the high priest, and all the people, they obey. Yeah. They obey and then they begin to build as you swing in um, to the latter parts of chapter one. Uh, but what then sets in is what I called in the sermon post-obedient blues where we hit the ground running, um, but then we fail because we're frail and God yep. knows our frame. And that's when God then sends Haggai for his second message, yep. um, which begins in, ch- in chapter two. So, so often, so often we, um, I used to, when I was uh, either walking somewhere or e- even with exercises and things like that, I always did a count down, not a count up. You mm-hmm. know, you used to go, you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 50 sit-ups, you know, one, two, three, oh, 25, oh, that's enough. You know, but if I start at 50, 49, 48, 47, you've got to get all the way to one. And I think what we do is we stay, as you say, we start with this flourish with God, mm. but we're counting up and going, oh, yeah, no, that's enough for today. Yeah. Yeah, it can be like that, and I and I and I believe I, I brought out an, an application for us when we, when our heart's desire is uh, to honor the Lord, and we've really had that Haggai one moment where we've we've received the accusation from God saying, "Hey, you, you you're saying not yet, um, but you're still dwelling in your own paneled houses." So we, you're not you, you've begun to identify you're prioritizing you were prioritizing the wrong kingdom. Yeah. You're now beginning to see that it's the spiritual kingdom that must have the priority in your life, but then you fail and 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 you stumble and trip, and you're beginning to see what you should be treasuring, um, and that should be Christ, um, and then you stumble and trip. But if that's your heart's desire, it's okay because um, God will bring more of His Word as you are beholding uh, Christ. Uh, the glory of Christ revealed in the pages of Scripture, and that, that's what r- remarkable uh, about um, chapter two. Yeah, it's it's very much the doing thing, isn't it? While while you're doing, while you're going, the Lord will speak to you and encourage you, and uh, because we know from Ezra that um, uh, I think it says the people prospered through the prophesying or the encouragement of of Haggai and Zechariah while they were doing the work. So so his first message enthuses them to do it, and then ongoing messages encouraging them along, very much like what we know the, is with the Holy Spirit, the, um, oh, give me the Greek word again, I've lost it completely, the encourager, the, no, the, 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 the one that comes alongside and encourages us. Oh, parakaleto. Par, yeah, the, the par, parakletos that, that comes along. So this yeah. is what Haggai is doing at the moment, having, having almost birthed, rebirth the work he's coming along come on come on come on yes. you can do it you can do it yeah 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 exactly and even in the face of adversity um you know they, they got a lot of grief um i think zachariah shows that um the 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 suffering they went through as they left the the city gates and then the enemies came at them they, they had that they also had the famine because here's something interesting um the first sermon 
because Haggai is very specific in the dates that he gives in each of the yes. sermons. And, and, and in, the, in, in the first sermon took place on the new moon Sabbath. And so the new moon Sabbath obviously was different than the regular weekly Sabbaths. Uh, all the leaders would come, uh, all the people were there. And so while the whole nation was present and they're 16 years in this kind of apathy, misplacing their spiritual priorities, on that day God sends his man with a message to open the word and he brings the word. And um, and, and that that also happens on on each of the, the messages that they bring. It's always in an opportune moment, yeah. a, a strategic moment, if you will. I wonder so, sometimes why why God waited like 16 years. Yeah, why, why yeah. not 10 years? Why not 11 years? Why wait 16 years to bring this message to the people? Yeah, very patient and and in his time. I mean, the second message took place um, uh, on the last day of the Feast of Booths. And so the Feast of Booths uh, runs from the seventh month to the, fifth, the 15th day to the 21st yep. day. And on the final day of the Feast of Booths, um, is is when God sends the second message through Haggai. And you think about it, because of their misplaced priorities, what was the Feast of Booze about? The Feast of Booze was not solely about, but it certainly involved a whole bunch of food. Yep. Now, because of their misplaced priorities, there was a drought on the land. God sent a drought. They had little to no food. And so they would have been significantly discouraged by the fact that they didn't have enough food for the festival, let alone yep. to live. They had... Um, they had discouragement because of the enemies at the gate who would cause them all sorts of problems. And they also had the discouragement of as they began to build the temple, the people who um, had been around and seen Solomon's temple began to be dismayed at the size of the temple. Um, so there was all these effects of discouragement, but that's where when we stumble and trip and when we're discouraged, that's, as you said, God in his mercy comes mm. along with yet another word. With the Feast of Booths as well, they're, if they're doing it right, they're living in, in ramshackle sheds, lean-tos, because that's what they're supposed to do for the week. They're not in the living booth, in, yeah. their nice, in their nice panelled houses, you know. So at yes. the end of this thing, when they've been out of their nice flash house and they're living in their, their little sukkah, and God says, okay, let's take a look at my house. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and – been left and, desolate. And for those, is it um, verse three? You know, who was left among you that saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? And they're going. Yeah. Actually, it looks a bit much like my one of my sukkah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sukkot. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that is a very good observation that I didn't um, bring up in the. Sorry, you can, you can use that. You can use that next time. <laughs> next time, that is a really good observation. Yeah, I, I love how um, the message that comes in verse four is take courage. Yeah, be strong. Um, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. And then the remnant of the people take courage. Be strong. And then um, and, and then there is the, the, the imperative there, and work. And work, yep. it says. For I am with you. And that's really comforting, right? Um, there's a, there was another I am with you in, in chapter one as well. How, how wonderful to dwell on the presence of God in the midst of our strivings, um, you know, to, to please him and bring him glory. Yeah, and he reminds as we, them. As we face persecution. Yeah, and he goes all the way back, at verse 5, goes all the way back to Egypt, and he goes, I, I'm with you. You know, be take, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, yeah. be strong. People, do the work. I'm with you just like I covenanted with you in the when you came out of Egypt. I, I have not changed. I'm still the same. That is Exodus language. I was just going to say, then you transition into verses six through nine of Haggai, which took me a long time to, to study. And um, there's about six different views. Um, and I, I 
I, I take the view, um, well, beginning with the book of Haggai itself, uh, it's, it's not narrative in that it doesn't teach a story through, um, doesn't teach truth through a story and uh, it, it's not poetic literature. I actually think of it as prophetic prose. Haggai's been called, yep. called the most matter of fact of all prophets. I mean, he just gets down to it. Yeah. And so it's prose and it's prophetic prose. And I believe that verses six through nine uh, are truly remarkable. Uh, I found them to be, um, to be a, a wonderful encouragement and, and really an example for me personally, um, uh, you know, because and why I say that is because uh, a lot of our reformed uh, brothers and sisters take a very different view. And um, if you don't mind, I'd love to take a moment just to unfold yep. what, I, what, I, what I mean. Um, because in verses, it says, in verse six, it says, for thus says Yahweh, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. Um, the whole lot. Yeah, I'll shake the whole lot. And um, they will come with the wealth of all nations and I'll fill this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh. And then verse 9 says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And in this and place... He, he's, not just, he's not just talking about the temple there though, is he? No, it's... it's it's Well, it depends on what... It, well... I really believe he's talking about the millennial kingdom temple. Yeah. Um, the, the millennial kingdom temple. And I'll tell you for why is because um, coming back, a, a lot of our reformed brothers will, will say that this is talking about the, the, the return of Christ or Christ, yeah. um, whether in his incarnation or his return. And that is really appealing. Um, the, it's really attractive to want to preach Christologically and, and it would it would sound great. It would preach great. It would go great. But we've got to allow the text to determine where we go and not go beyond what is written. And what was really striking to me was um, in verse seven, the phrase "will come" or in some translations "shall come." That is in that is a plural proposition. This is where he says the desire of all nations shall come. Yeah, 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 and um, and and there is some discussion about uh, the word. Um, well, some say treasures or the desire and that kind of thing. But when it says, "and they will come," and the wealth of all nations, yeah, um, that that the will come is a is a plural proposition. And what you can't do in rules of grammar is you can't attach a singular to a plural preposition. So if we're to say that that is talking about Christ, we're committing uh, grammatical, grammatical suicide. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. This so is like, so me, like when Paul talks about the seed, you know, he says, what well, God says to, to, to the woman, the seed, he doesn't say seeds plural. He says seed one, meaning Christ. So this is yeah. the same situation. So this word here is it's gotta be a plural. Therefore it can't apply to Jesus. To Jesus. Yes. That's exactly right. And for me, that really helped because you read the renowned theologians of the day, John Owen being one of the prince of theologians, and you know he, he was making this about Christ, and um, you know it was it was quite a settling thing for me to see that. And then I thought, well, hang on, what is this? And and I'm really convinced that it is the millennial kingdom. And then some people will say, well, well, hang on, where's Jesus in the sermon? And if you take Hebrews chapter twelve verse twenty six that picks up this very portion of Haggai and speaks about an unshakable kingdom, speaking of the eternal kingdom. Yep. 
And then you take this portion here, talking about the literal gold and silver that will come from all the nations. Would you put the word shake in there as well? Because you talked about the unshakable kingdom in verse 7 of Haggai here. It does talk about shaking the nation. So that's the comparison. Yeah, yeah. And so so there's the there's the shaking. And and we know from Exodus, which was just mentioned in verse five, uh, prior to verse yep. six, we know what happened at Exodus, right? God at Sinai, he shook, you know, I, I believe it's Zechariah that writes about that. Yep. Um there, there's 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 a great shaking. And so the only time that this will happen again is uh right before Christ's coming, um, when he will establish his millennial kingdom. And so um when when all the the, the, the literal gold and the literal uh, silver will make sure that the latter glory of this temple that they're looking at uh, will be nothing in comparison. And when you look at Isaiah 60 um, and Ezekiel 40 to 48, rather, it shows that the millennial temple is 10 to 15 times bigger yeah. than, than this temple. So long and the short of it is the people are looking back the people are there are building and they're saying, they're going, woe is me. This is nowhere near as good as Solomon's temple. And Haggai's saying, look, the temple that you're building now, which is not as good as Solomon's, don't even worry because the one coming is going to be far greater than even Solomon's. So if we and put so it people, in context of, the, of those tabernacles that they were living in, the, the, the booths, yeah. so you go, okay, what you're looking at now and you're thinking it's a booth compared to what Solomon's temple was like. My yeah. millennial temple, bro, Solomon's temple is going to look like a booth compared to yes, my millennial absolutely. temple. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. Now, some people will say, well, where's Christ in that? What, what, what is, you know, well, I'll tell you where it is. It is in that Hebrews 12, 26 passage, which takes just a portion of Haggai and speaks about the eternal kingdom. And then you have Haggai here talking about the millennial kingdom temple. Yep. And what do they both do? They both point to Christ, the significance yeah. of Christ. You know? And I think the thing is that, that what something we don't get as Gentiles is the whole reason, and when you read David building the temple and Solomon's words at its, uh, sorry, David's intention and Solomon's words when he's building it, I'm building a house for you, God, to dwell in here on earth so that the nations of the earth will look and go, my goodness, what an amazing God they must have because look at the amazing temple. So when God's going, yeah. okay, where is Christ in all of this? Right? If you think Solomon's temple was glorious enough, the what you know, your God isn't glory in your mind. Your God's not glorious enough yet. Let me show yeah. you through the millennial temple how glorious yeah. I am. Absolutely, and absolutely, and one of the really big things that came out of Haggai was the reality that the church is a spiritual kingdom here on earth. And it has to have absolute priority, um, not to the neglect of uh, yep. doing the things we do. You know, said of Jonathan Edwards that he lived with his heart um, soaring heavenward, but his feet were planted deeply on yeah. the ground. And, yep. and, and these guys had work to do. I mean, he, he encourages them. And work, he says, well, we have work to do as a spiritual kingdom. And we do that being assaulted under, you know, we have enemies on the outside, um, sadly, enemies from within. Um, but yeah, we're still called to do the work, and that's the thing. We are called uh, to do the and, work. And, and we're being built up into that temple. Part of what yes. we're doing is, or what we're supposed to be doing, is for us to be seen as part of those building blocks for the temple so that people can see how glorious our God is. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great book. It really is a great book. You have, you then have um, some interesting uh, on the third message, um, which begins in verse 10. Um, interesting. This is enough, all in one, in one year, isn't it? It's less than one year that Haggai pro- uh, prophesies. Yeah, it, you know, it really is. That's on the, the 21st of the seventh month is the second message. And then on the 24th of the ninth month, so just two years later, this third sermon doesn't really have. Two months a, later. Yeah. Yeah, not two yeah, years, yeah. two months later. Yeah. Did I say two years? You Sorry, said two, two years, months. bro. Uh, two months. <laughs> this day here, unlike the others, doesn't really have a significant day to it other than um, uh, the fact that. Um, if you look down at verse 15, yep. it says, but now do consider from this day onward. So when this message came, um, before one stone was placed in another in the temple of Yahweh, from that time, oh, verse 15 rather, yep. this is this is the historical day when the temple was founded. Um, verse 18 says, do consider from this day onward. Yes. And things got better for the them. the temple of the Lord was founded. Yeah, yeah. They, yep. As they did the work. As they prioritized um, uh, what the, their spiritual thing uh, priorities, got them back in a line, things began to um, uh, somewhat improve for them. But we don't want to buy into the whole prosperity gospel idea no, either. No, they still faced struggle. They still faced uh, opposition, and there was still um, uh, consequences for their sin. Because look at verse sixteen. From that time, even when you started building, when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there's only 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I smote you in every work of your hands. Yep. And so, um, but the verse 19, this is the real interesting one, is the, seeds, is the seed still in the barn? And the answer is no. And the reason there's no seed in the barn is because of the consequence of their sin. And so, God is so kind to provide for his children uh, yeah. all that we need. And um, and sometimes that means uh, reminding us and showing us the consequences of where we where we erred. I think it's interesting, The um, and again, we've got to go into translations here with, with the Hebrew. I remember when I was um, talking to my friend Israel Harel uh, in Israel, and uh, he would say to me, he said, yes, Rob, pull out your King James Bible. He said, hey, what does this verse go? I'd read it. He goes, that's not what it says. Um, yeah. The We know the Hebrew is inerrant. The, the English translations we have, depending on who translated it, it, gives slightly different things. My take on this is that God has said, it, it, here's, the, here's the turnover point, right? Because you didn't have your priorities right, you were more interested in your flat screen TVs and Harley Davidsons. Um, mm. Because of that, I smote your with mildew and blight and all these things, and you looked for fifty measures of barley, and you only got twenty. Right. So mm. now that you have stood up and said, "Oh gosh, we were wrong. Let me get my priorities right." So mark this day on your calendar because from this day forward, I'm going to turn that around the other way. Mm. He's he's not saying it from. It's not saying, okay, if you start now, when you finish building the temple, I'll start blessing you when you mm. finish the job. He's saying, you've mm. got your heart in the right place to begin the work. Therefore, I will, I will turn that around now. That's, that's the way I see that. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
And there's always principles we can draw from the Old Testament text. I mean, sadly, it's a lot of the prosperity preachers, some of the false teachers, they love to go to the Old Testament and they can skew it. They yeah. they tie it into a pretzel and make it do all sorts of things that it doesn't mean. But there's certainly some principles there. I mean, Jesus himself said, didn't he, in the Gospel of Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah. Um, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly a a blessing that comes from walking uh, in faith, walking in obedience. Um, but it's never, it's never. Um, it's not the focus. To, the, fo- the focus has got to be on Jesus. It's, it, and this is the thing is it, what's happened here is the people have got their focus on Yahweh. Yeah. Instead absolutely. of on themselves. And Yahweh says, okay, now that you've got your focus right, all these other things will be given unto you as well. But try and keep your focus right because, you know, um, you turn that focus around the wrong way and you might find yourself back in the same situation you were. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, there, there's, there's some, you know, as I, I think I said it before, Haggai's being called the most matter-of-fact of all the prophets. He's straight to it. It's straight yep. talk. Um, he just gets right down to it. The third message is very interesting, beginning in verse 20. Um, again, not on a not on a significant um, day other than it's on the same day when the temple was founded. Yep. Um, so the third and fourth sermons are, are delivered on the same day. And this is a message not to uh, the remnant of the people or not to both uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, but to Zerubbabel himself. So Zerubbabel's um, the governor, just so people can understand, Zerubbabel and yeah. Joshua, Zerubbabel is the governor of uh, Judea, of Israel, uh, yes. which legally sanctioned by Darius, I suppose, at this point. Um, yes. Joshua is the high priest. Yes. So one, yep. one is civil and one is one is spiritual. Yep. So this is and the message led, to this. Yeah, this is the message to yeah. the to the civil leader. Yeah, and they led the nation uh, from exile back into the land. Um, yep. Zerubbabel and Joshua. And so, yeah, this is a message to an individual. And it gets really interesting. Uh, verse 22 says, I'll overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations, and I'll overthrow the chariots and their riders and their horses, and their riders will go down, everyone, by the sword of another. And what's really interesting, if you go to Revelation 19, I believe, this is this this Jesus says those words. Yeah. And so it's Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is speaking. And then, interestingly, you know, it's that famous verse, on that day declares Yahweh, I'll take you, Zerubbabel, and I'll make you a signet ring. And it's really remarkable because when you go and read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, and you read the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke, it is Zerubbabel who appears. Yes. And, and the same way that David would often take on um, a, he would speak, he would, he would transcend himself in a way. Um, Zerubbabel transcends himself because Jesus really is the greater Zerubbabel uh, in so many ways. Um, he's in, D- Jesus comes of that Davidic line. This is where the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant begin to unfold in the book of Haggai yep. uh, in a beautiful way. Um, and, 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 uh, it's quite amazing to see how it ends there. It, it points to Jesus. And so it's a very, it is a very Christocentric book. And one of the things that I've been struck, struck by of late is that there is a Christocentric hermeneutic, which can sometimes 
put Christ into verses where he uh, isn't found. Yep. Case in point, what we spoke earlier with the plural preposition. Yes. Um, but what we always must have is a Christocentric homiletic. And uh, I did a podcast recently with Dr. Peter Sammons, and he brought that out really well. We must have a Christocentric homiletic. And so even where the verse may not be talking specifically about Jesus, we have to always be preaching Jesus um, in, our, in our preaching, in our homiletics. It's amazing to me with this message to Zerubbabel. It's a very personal message that I think, you know, if, if God had said that to someone else, they might not have understood the whole signet ring business. And when I'm reading it, I'm thinking, was there something, was there something significant for Zerubbabel about a signet ring that he got this message more than someone else, but we mm. can st we can still take it and apply it today. Um, but I, lo I love the way that God does that. He He treats each and every one of us individually. Um, mm. He'll say something to me that that'll make perfect sense to me. And if He said it to you, you'd just be going, "What are you on about, God?" Mm. Mm. So thankful for the Scripture, the clarity, um, the per perspicuity of Scripture. That just the way in which, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Yeah. And and the way in which there's just such a, um, there, there is a, it really is, you're hearing from God. And um, one of the things that really is striking um, about that final message, you're so right in the sense that drawing an implication from it, God does have a message for each and every one of us. Um, and uh, it's revealed in the pages of Scripture and we've, we're just tasked with being those workmen to mine the depths of it. But um, David, David himself um, carried that royal line um, that did transcend himself, which is what I was trying to get to before. Yep. Zerubbabel, uh, in the same way, um, does that as well. Um, he was the governor of Israel. Um, and, and in many ways, Zerubbabel, he represents this renewal of blessings that come to the people. And, and, and um, Christ, the greater Zerubbabel, uh, brings us the greatest of all spiritual yes. blessings, all those yeah. that he purchased on the cross. Yeah. I can't help but read um, Haggai and, and, you know, and Ezra. I mean, in our Bibles, Nehemiah follows straight after Ezra, and Nehemiah starts with um, the man in tears, you know, his, his brother comes back from Jerusalem. So I don't know how many years on this is again from this point. So they've, you know, they've built the temple and they've finished doing that. Mm. And then Nehemiah's brother comes back from Jerusalem and Nehemiah says, you know, how's things in Jerusalem? And he goes, well, there's the walls and pieces, the gates haven't been built. It's actually, bro, it's a mess. Mm. You know, and Nehemiah just, he just falls in tears before the Lord. So, Again, while the the enthusiasm is there, while you know, and again, Ezra says they pro they they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. So what mm. happens next is obviously those two stopped talking, and the work dwindled off again. The, the, the goad wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the very first verse of Zechariah, uh, chapter one, verse one. It says, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And so 
And then verse 2 says, Yahweh was very angry with your fathers. And so the, the struggle continued, but God always sends another word. Yeah. God always gives another word. If we, if we hearken to his voice revealed in the pages of Scripture, we will always have another word, another word of encouragement. Uh, God's words to us are always um, to, to his people, to, to his children, uh, are never words of punitive judgment. They're always words of a loving father. And um, we need them. We need yeah. them. What would you, I mean, hopefully we're going to send people off to read Haggai. Um, it's only two chapters and they're not very long chapters. So go and read it in your Bible. Um, but for you, Matthew, what would you want somebody to take home from all of this? For, so, you know, they've listened to us today. They're going to go and open up their Bible, read these two chapters of Haggai. What should they get out of it? What would you want them to get out of it? Encouragement. And when we think of the word encouragement, it, in, it, it has the idea of putting courage into. The preposition aim means into, putting courage into someone. So when we encourage someone, it's not just warm fuzzies. It's, it's actually putting courage into someone. And, and um, the, the courage that we need and the courage that these people needed as they faced adversity from secular pagans um, on the outside, um, assaulting the spiritual kingdom, um, we're the same. We are the spiritual kingdom here on earth. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, but he prayed in John 17, Father, don't take them out of this world. And so as we live as the church, we need courage. And, um, and, and as the days get more and more bizarre, as the, for the very first time really, and at an accelerated rate, the Western governments turn against the, the church, yeah. we need courage. And um, we need to be the spiritual kingdom. We need to be like those in Hebrews chapter 13 um, who were exhorted to consider that Jesus was thrown outside the camp and that we are to go out to him and bear his reproach, um, knowing that we here on earth we have no lasting city, but we seek another. Yep. And so uh, that would be my encouragement. Spiritual priorities in line. Uh, for the glory of God, um, being finding satisfaction in Jesus because that's whom God has revealed himself to be and uh, in and from where we are to draw satisfaction from. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Well, our food, our satisfaction should be to behold the one who was sent and to have courage, really. And, and, and the reason we have courage is because just as Yahweh promises to Haggai, he promises to us, for I am with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Awesome. Matthew, thank you. you so much for your time. It's great. You're welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. Look forward to next time. Likewise. Thank you.